0: Jesus, I'm following you. Into the desert for three days with no food, I don't care. I'm gonna follow you because being with you is better than me making plans and preparing and controlling everything. I just I just wanna be, they just wanted to be mm-hmm. where
1: he was. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. (laughs) Bernie Calcote in the house. Glad to be back, man. Oh, love it. Love it. Uh, An avid podcast listener... Like one of the things that's cool yeah. that I love about you is you will come in and you'll talk about previous episodes because you, you listen and engage. Yes. And
0: I, I love what you're doing, man. Like I'm uh, honored to be one of the people that you feel comfortable enough to bring in and do it with you. But, um, I love all the guests and I love listening yeah. more to them than myself for sure. Amen. Um,
1: and so yeah, I, I love what you're doing, man. It's awesome. I had to get, like, two guests together, have you guys just record a podcast so I can listen to it and I don't have to hear myself. <laughs>
2: That'd
1: be good. There you go. That'd be good. Uh, so what's, yeah, what's been kind of spinning around in your world? What, uh, either through biblical community, have you been learning? Has God been showing you things, challenging you, or in His Word?
0: Absolutely. Well, both together, I think right now, there's one thing that kind of jumps out, um, I go to the Austin Stone Community Church. Um, and right now we're in the life of David. Okay. And uh we were just recently in First Samuel eighteen and looking at David's friendship with Jonathan. Okay. And and um putting those that that friendship um and that relationship in uh comparison to and, and that one being just a very a covenant deep devoted right friendship. Which is not really discussed much and, and, and sermons aren't done really on how to be a really good friend of somebody. Mm. Um, and then the alternative being the toxic relationship between Saul and David. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I think the, the sermon that Ross Lester did on this was just brilliant. Mm. And it had me and my wife just really considering how blessed we are want to just be the beneficiaries of such good, deep friends. Yeah. And uh, also at the same time question, man, what kind of a friend am I really to Mm. people? Um, Do I celebrate them or do I compare? You know, do I defend them or do I deflect? Um, And so Ross kind of went through these different things that toxic friendships do this um, and true friendships do this. And looking at those... You know, um, juxtaposed friendships of Saul and David and Jonathan and David. Did I use that word in the right context? I think so. I tried. Yeah. So uh, it's so good. So, so, so they good.
1: could go to the Austin Stone website. Yeah. Go to the
0: podcast and listen to, uh, I think it's called uh, the art of true friendship or something like yeah. that. And it, it's really good. So our community group is now listening back to that sermon and studying in first Samuel 18 and kind of the events of. You know these different things and how those friendships kind of play out, and it it definitely makes you consider what kind of friend you are to people Mm -hmm. and what kind of friends that you have. And there are toxic friendships, and there's there's just people that really are out for their own gain, and they're Mm -hmm. not there to 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 give. They're there to gain, and they're there to compare. And there's bitterness and and. What Leslie and I have been trying to work through, because he, he really doesn't get into this part. It's like, okay, once you identify, man, these are just some really true uh, friends that we have. It's such a blessing. And then there's some people hovering in our atmosphere that may be toxic. And mm-hmm. how do we put boundaries in place to still be people that are full of grace and love for those people, but also protect ourselves and our hearts and so we're still kind of wrestling through all of that. And yeah. um, it's just been really good conversation between us and hopefully what will be between our community. Uh, because no matter who you are listening out there, um, a lot of sermons talk to people that consider being missionaries or right. talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's like, these things are applicable, but not in the same practical, everyday, real right. context of being a friend. And how do we really, um, strengthen each other's hand in God? Because that's the last kind of what we hear of Jonathan and David's friendship. That's the last thing that, um, that it says about Jonathan yeah. uh, to David is that he strengthened his hand in God. It's like, oh man, I want to be the kind of friend that doesn't um, strengthen your appreciation for me, or your mm-hmm. um, love for me, but your hand in God and your faith is just built up. Yeah, through my
1: friendship. Um, and so yeah, it's it, it's been really really. Yeah, fun. that's interesting the way you talk about it. You talk about these healthy friendships versus toxic. Another, like I was thinking, there's some that replenish and refill, mm-hmm. and then some that just kind of drain your cup. Mm-hmm. Not that you're, I mean. You may be called to interact with both groups, but to be able to recognize and then to ask the question, which kind of friend am I? Mm-hmm. Like I like, and what are the characteristics or what needs to be in place for me to be selfless like that? Cause that's really what it is. You have those friends that truly do celebrate your wins with you mm-hmm. and get excited. And man, when, when something happens that's hard for you, they, they take it hard too. And, and there's this sense of, those friends that bear one another's burdens and mm-hmm. celebrate mm-hmm. at times and it rather than looking around going, well, I don't have any good friends like that, then you start to look at yourself and go, Am I a good friend like that? That's like, right. Maybe yeah. that's where I should focus. Yeah. And then allow the Lord to bring those other friendships. That's powerful. Yeah. That's it, good stuff. Yeah. It's really good. So um as you what does it look like for you and your wife to wrestle through something like that together? Is this a man, we're driving home and this we hear that sermon and we begin to verbally process or is this over time you're chewing on this?
0: Um, sometimes we do on the way home from the service. Um, we typically have our kids in the car. So depending on, there's certain layers that maybe we couldn't get to um, because the kids don't understand the context of mm-hmm. those friendships. or. Um, but it's played out over the last week and a half right. of... Um, in the evenings um yeah we we don't like watch a lot of tv um uh, we kind of are i feel like we're doing kids stuff whether it's sports or whatever until it's bedtime bath time and then we kind of have an hour mm-hmm. or two to uh just kind of talk and you know interactions that day that kind of happened you know we just talk about life day to day and then like okay well hey that remember that sermon like how does that play out in this and if there's any specific friendships or things that we've identified that really need to be processed then we'll kind of like just come back to those in the evenings like hey you know i was thinking about this
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: i feel like this is what's happening so how do we how do we move forward in love in
1: in this way um so that's kind of how it in 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 your life it's not the case, I'm guessing, that every Sunday a sermon hits you like that. Definitely not. It's going to be clear that, man, there's just seasons where there's a particular passage, message that God is using, so it will linger and you guys will process mm-hmm. for time. So you're this isn't like every Sunday, man, there's this, you're launched into this just, deep introspective no definitely
0: definitely not and i think i've learned over time that um that's why i'm not here saying like check you got to go and do this it's the most powerful thing you'll ever hear i've learned over time that yeah the spirit just reveals different things and convicts different things to different people at different time now something that did impact me i want to share it and say like yeah maybe there's somebody out there that has some of these things going that it'll really resonate with them. Right. Um, but there's definitely uh, seasons where or, or times where something specific is like, oh man, we we're gonna not rush and hurry past this. We're gonna kind of stay in this for a little bit and see what the Lord. Like, I mean, we were we never sit on the front row. But my, uh, my son, who is generally not wanting to be seen by anybody, he was like, let's sit on the front row today. We were like, okay, we haven't sat on the front mm. row. We're the only ones on the front row. Uh, the pastor is looking at us most of the time. <laughs> and then when he prays at the end, he comes and kind of squats down almost right in front of us and uses language to where Leslie and I were just kind of, mm. Is he praying for us right now? Like I feel like this is uh like this is for us. You could very... use our names and it would apply. But um so this specific one, yes, was very like wow, we felt the spirit just kind of move and it resonated with us, but it's not we don't have a weekly rhythm of like, right. okay, now we're gonna do this. You right, know. it's
1: more organic and yeah. this that just happened to be in this season per my question. God is stirring up something mm-hmm. and it's happening through both The scriptures and biblical community and it has to do with with that kind of
2: Mm -hmm. what kind of community
1: are you
0: and i think that if we're honest even even biblical community and maybe even more so biblical community is messy Mm
2: -hmm.
0: i mean guys it is just messy And if it's clean and neat and organized, then you're probably not reaching the levels of depth to where everybody's stuff really starts to come out. And that's where I feel like there is a ton of grace to be displayed, is when we know each other and deep bonds of community can really happen. Um and so that's the reason maybe that it uh resonated as well. Is like I and then maybe there's people out there they're like, Man, I just feel like this thing's a mess. You're not alone. Yeah, (laughs) biblical community really is messy, and um,
1: that's why we have this. Well, and and to to your your point that it's messy because outside of the biblical context, it would be completely allowable in society for you to just dismiss people that are toxic to you Mm -hmm. or that are uh, mean or just complicated or, you know, just, yeah, anything messy, you can just kind of cancel it. You could just remove yourself or remove them from your life, whereas the biblical community is going to be defined by this idea that there's an agreement we're all broken and sinful mm-hmm. people and we're brought here by the grace of Jesus Christ and healed by Him, and empowered by Him, and so we've got to deal with sin. We don't get to run from it. Yeah, and when toxic people are in your life, You've got to deal with that and figure mm-hmm. out what does grace say and what is, how does the gospel apply to that relationship? And then also, how do we be life-giving friends mm-hmm. and relationships and lean into that empowered by the Spirit of God? Uh, that's
0: absolutely right on. We're, we're supposed to be, and we try our best to be, and I know we fall short, but um, a people that are devoted, in the book of Acts, it mm-hmm. talks about they were devoted to one another you know learning yeah, you know from the prophets, from the apostles um, having meals together it's like they were doing community together uh, but that word devoted is something I think that um, we have lost and our culture has kind of lost because mm. another thing that he gets into and then we can move on is um, just how we want that connection we want deep friendship, we want true mm-hmm. friendship. But it costs something. yeah. And a lot of times we're just not, it's like, no, I want to come to church and I want you to meet my season of life and the things that I prefer and all of this, but don't ask for any of my time, me to sacrifice my money. Don't ask me to do those things, just this. And then we can complain when there's the lack of connection. It's like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. Um, And so that's a whole other layer of how those deep friendships really start to um grow and start and the the statistics of people out there that don't have true friends people that they feel like really know them and that care for them um it's just evidence of uh how much we need we need the word we need to be devoted to one another and push into it
1: amen it's you okay. ever like there's a couple of ways in which you can determine that list of people you know the true friends If you have like a messy job and you need some help, you're like, who can I impose on
2: Mm -hmm. that
1: will still like me at the end of this? Mm -hmm. If you have to move a bunch of furniture or whatever, you're like, all right, who can I call that I either they owe me something or I can lean on them to be messy. Uh, I heard someone else describe it like you've got those friends that are front porch friends. You'll let them in the front porch of your life. But maybe not in the house. Mm. And then you've got the friends that can come in the living room and where you keep everything really nice and clean yeah. and it's presentable for guests. And, but there's no real mess back there. And yeah. then you've got your, your friends that, you know, you'll let into maybe the kitchen area, depending on your floor plan of your house mm. mentally. And they may have fridge rights like, Oh yeah, you can check out the fridge and take stuff. And then there's those friends that you'll allow into the living space of your home. Mm-hmm. where you didn't clean up where there's maybe some undies left on the ground or something in your bedroom you're like I forgot did I clean up my dirty laundry and and they're fine going in and out and and so there's those different levels of friendship of how much how much vulnerability how much are you willing to let them see of the mess and the the yeah the gross of your life that's good anyway
0: love it man that's all good. right.
1: Well, thanks for sharing.
2: Mm -hmm, Of course. That's
1: good stuff. That's powerful. I hope people go and find, track down that sermon. Yeah. The Austin Stone, uh, and the name of that sermon would have been…
0: Art of True Friendship. Art
1: of True Friendship. So, yeah, make sure you Google that, find that, watch it, listen to it. I'm sure it'll be challenging and helpful. Well worth it. Uh, All right. Well, we come together today. Uh, We're, since you were last with me, we were in a hotel room. Oh, yeah. uh, At T4G. (laughs) And we have not made it too far since that time. We're just making our way ever so slowly, and we uh, turn our attention to the beginning of Mark chapter eight. Okay, and uh, in in the Gospel of Mark, obviously these um, the chapter and verse numbers these were all added later, but there is a way in which it's organized, and it kind of helps us understand where we're at in this thing. And uh, there's sixteen chapters in the Gospel of Mark, so we're we're getting towards the halfway point. We're not quite there, but we're we're getting a lot closer to the halfway point. And just by way of reminder to everyone who's listening, here we are reading and making our way uh kind of verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. Mark being the collected preaching of Peter, as we understand it, and Mark being a scribe and somebody who's taking down that teaching of Peter. John Mark. John Mark, yeah. I did. I learned that from you, man. Yeah, buddy. I didn't know that before this podcast. <laughs> and we've got in the first <laughs> verse, uh, you have kind of the only time Mark speaks where he gives his opinion, or it would be the opinion of Peter, maybe. Uh, but he says, you know, this is the gospel of Mark, or let's see here. Um, yeah, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel the good news of jesus the christ or the messiah the son of god so that's he's stating his opinion here's what i've concluded Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the gospel is his support of that statement here's why that that's the case and so keeping that in in you know in mind also the gospel the good news is defined by mark in uh, chapter 1 in verse 14 where it says that uh Now after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God, the good news. And he said, so here is that gospel, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel, Mm -hmm. that the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom has arrived. And, And so we understand that to be through the king of that kingdom or the Messiah that was understood to come. Uh, the anointed one, the promised one that would come and make all things right again. And so that's that's what we've been watching and uh, witnessing as we've kind of gone through. We've seen him demonstrate that authority, that kingly authority through his teaching. He mm-hmm. teaches as one who has authority, not like the scribes. He demonstrates that in his exercising of the demonic, right? Casting out demons, healing sicknesses, as well as calming uh, weather systems, so storms, wind, waves, these types of things. He has command. He has authority. I do think it's interesting that as he goes through this, how quickly the demonic recognize who he is, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: how quickly the physical world will respond to him, the, the cellular level as well as the macro weather system level. And yet there are multiple times where he tells people to not say anything, and then they go out That's broadcasting right. stuff. So it's interesting <laughs> that the whole universe gets it and understands and recognizes his authority. And obeys. Even the demonic, yeah, and they, they, they obey. And yet it's people time and time again that don't understand and don't recognize what's going on in front of them. And maybe when they do or they experience that authority, they don't necessarily obey. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me stinking sinners. Yeah. Man, people are the worst, man. Selfish I guess so. pigs. <laughs> man. Okay. Uh all righty, so we find ourselves Mark chapter 8 verse 1. Okay. We're just going to read the first 10 verses as we jump into this. We all are right. reading from the NET, uh the New English Translation. Uh I think I got to introduce you to that translation. You did a few and, and episodes I have back. one. And uh it's a fun, it's a fun translation. Yeah. So Uh yes, for those who are following along, if you have a different translation that's just an opportunity to kind of make note of maybe some word usage that's different, that's a good place to start kind of wrestling with what does this thing mean. All righty, here we go. We jump in. Chapter 8, verse 1. In those days there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. So Jesus called His disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have already been here with me three days. And they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples answered him, Where can someone get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? They replied, Seven. Then he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. After he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke them and began giving them to the disciples to serve so they served the crowd. They also had a few small fish. After giving thanks for these, he told them to serve these as well. Everyone ate and was satisfied, and they picked up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There were about 4,000 who ate. Then he dismissed them. Immediately, he got into the boat with the disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Okay, so... uh a familiar episode because he's already fed the five thousand. Yeah. So not to to mistake those two events. This has this happens twice in the life and ministry of Jesus, mm-hmm. where there are thousands gathered, they're engaged in his teaching. He sees them. He has compassion, and his compassion is demonstrated in doing something about it mm-hmm. and demonstrating power. What else do you see here that? kind of helps paint the picture okay so we can kind of well i got i got a ton of questions all right I'm like this this
0: thing i'm just like wait what um but we'll get there yeah so first we're going to paint the picture yeah right Yeah. yeah. else do we see yeah okay um well th- this wasn't a um hey we got you know stuck up in gerald in the evening right. this was they'd been out there for three days you know quite a long time and it was some. It was a great distance, so it wasn't
1: like they could just kind of scoot back, right? Um, so yeah, you you wonder like by midday of day two, they're like, yeah, it's been a bit since we ate. I'm getting hungry, right? Are there um, like, food trucks around here? <laughs> like <laughs> like three days, three yeah. days.
0: Um, I know in America and definitely in Austin, we probably eat more than most people in the world. Oh, probably. Um, but in this context, um, would that be, I mean, was it like, yeah, you just have some lunch or, or were there, you know, w- was it common I mean, for you to go for a couple days and be like, oh yeah, we need to eat.
1: I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Judging by his response, yeah. right. He recognizes this is a pretty good, this is a big deal. Yeah. That they've, They've been with him for three days. He has compassion. He recognizes that at this point, if they start to head home, they'll probably pass out. yeah, so it's too late. They're they, already they've in. gone yeah. too far or too long without food.
0: okay yeah. um you know, clearly painting the picture, which again raises some questions. I mean, I don't know. I can I wasn't there, but I feel like if I was there the first time feeding the five thousand, and i went to jesus and was like what are we supposed to do there's no are, are we supposed yeah. to get bread for everybody in this desolate place and he's like oh what, what do you got okay here and everybody eats the next time that that happens i'm probably gonna say hey, hey can you do? Hey, the you thing? remember
1: or remember what <laughs> yeah.
0: like do do we need to do the same thing or but they they the response sounds like there's no recollection; they have yeah. forgotten all about it. Well, what are we gonna do? Well, how about that? How about you get what you have, bring it to me, and we'll do the same thing. Yeah. So, I kind of am picturing these disciples
1: again, kind of like, man, there's all these people. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is other passages, and and this will eventually come out in in that Jesus will begin to grow impatient with the fact that they just can't see it. And so it's not as though there are times where the author doesn't tell us that Jesus is frustrated. And so I think it's interesting that because that's not mentioned here, that he still is he's, he's being patient with them. Even though, yes, that exact same, almost exact same thing has happened on an even grander scale. So more people were there the first time. And he's like, they're like, hey, we got to feed. And he's like, well, what do you have to feed them? And they're like, we don't have anything. Well, we'll find out what you got. And he puts it on them. This time, he, he takes it on himself. Where can we get enough bread in this desolate place? How many loaves do you have? And he directs the, okay. And then he does his thing and he has them serve him. But it seems like there's just this level of patience that exists even still. Mm -hmm. But that will run out. And so I'm kind of foreshadowing there's a a time coming where he references both of the events where he says, remember the feeding in the five and then remember the feeding of the 4,000? Like, you remember these incidents? Like, and you still don't understand what's happening. Like, there's a point which he's going to be fed up. Right. But he's not now. Right. He's like, okay. Yeah. Um,
0: So to be clear, when it says, and even in the 5,000 and the 4,000, these are 4,000 men. I, yeah, I've, so, I've kind of um, heard, heard it different ways as if it was, there was 5,000 men, which means there was also, uh, and maybe, maybe this was when you did the podcast on that one where it was like, there could have been upwards of 10,000. Yeah. 12, they estimate
1: on that first episode, like that first incident of the feeding of the 5,000 that it's called, uh, it's back in chapter six and in verse 44 it it specifies now there were 5000 men who ate the bread this one does not specify yeah. it just says, it says there were about 4000 ate. who ate yeah so i don't know if the implication is that this was a mixed group so this could have been is you know we know that it was probably 20% less at least than the first one right and I know that it sounds like amazing that I threw that number out, but I'm just, I'm just taking the simple numbers of <laughs> five, four, five thousand, four thousand. And if you double those to 10 or eight. Yeah. Yeah. You got that. Yep. So yeah, it's a lesser number. Um, and the circumstances are similar. They're not exactly the same, right? There's the right. elements are the same. It's, it's loaves of bread. It's a couple of fish. He takes them. He gives thanks. So there's this process of him acknowledging the father and praying and giving thanks for this provision before he does anything with it. And then he distributes in a miraculous um, kind of, I don't know if you could call it creation ex nihilo, which refers to this idea of creating out of nothing, but he he takes a very small amount and he makes it much. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's the second time that he does something like this. And he does it because he's moved by compassion he sees that,
0: yeah that's that's one of the words definitely that jumped out to me um after the book recommendation from you gentle and lowly mm-hmm. uh, that I read whenever I hear words like that in in the scripture I think that they just remind me over and over this is who Jesus was yeah. he continued. And yep. continue to have compassion on people.
1: Yeah, and and so there's there's even an implication of faith being exercised here. There's people here that have gathered and followed him to a desolate place that are are hanging out and camping out to hear him teach.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's something about the what they're willing to do and what they're willing to endure to. To just be in proximity of his teaching that is a demonstration of yearning it's a demonstration of um, maybe commitment it's it's a demonstration of something
0: do you think that that's something that's lost on our culture when we read this like we don't really understand the weight and the sacrifice of these people it wasn't yeah. like us going to t4g right we get yeah. in a plane check in the hotel Right. Walk down the street, have some food, go to the conference. I mean, this was a huge sacrifice. Yes. There's, the-
1: there was some suffering and uh, discomfort, clearly, in order to be in that space. If it was men, they're they're going without labor. And in many cases, they're working for a day's wage, and that's going to provide food for the day. Uh, yeah. So, they're going without labor and, and work. They're also going without food. So, there's I mean, that's almost half a week.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's a that's a pretty that's big, a big deal. deal. And yeah. so I think there's something demonstrated in that. And he sees he sees them and he has compassion. Every time okay. that you the scriptures talk about Jesus, it's that he sees he has compassion. Like he's described as one who's now has compassion because of what he sees and then he does something. So compassion is never a sentiment. Mm -hmm. It never stops there. It never stops with, man, I feel really bad. I really feel bad about what I see there. And it always moves him to then try to do whatever he can with whatever resources he has to fix that. Whether he sees them and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And he, and he, tries to then be and demonstrates that he is a good shepherd. And so even in the parable of um the uh the good samaritan when as as that parable is being told the the recognition, right, that it's the samaritan sees the man, the others see and avoid, but he sees and has compassion and therefore mm-hmm is compassion is just is demonstrated with act activity and i think we're in a culture where a lot of times maybe we we see things and we just we want to do something but we don't know what to do or we just go man that's that's a real bummer and then move on with our life
0: apathy definitely is part of it i think too for i mean if i'm being honest for myself i think i i go to judgment quicker than compassion Hmm. So that's what could have happened in that parable. Is the first two they saw and they made judgments, mm. and that judgment led them to like keep walking. Right. Well,
1: they probably deserve that. They and we do this. Everybody does it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe maybe you're a disciple. Maybe you're somebody going. Do these people are out here for three days? It's their fault. Fo- why didn't they think to? Bring why didn't food? they go home and get some food, or why didn't they bring some food? Right. Like we're not we're not on the hook for them,
0: and so the the alternative reaction from judgment is compassion and Mm -hmm. then sacrifice self-sacrifice to uh to kind of move into that um so yeah that's definitely one thing that jumps out is Mm -hmm. how how often do we see someone or a people that are in a situation maybe that they've brought on themselves and we turn away in judgment instead of moving close
1: in compassion and help
0: and, and responding out of that.
1: Yeah, there's there's a the interaction between Jesus and the disciples seems to be kind of the primary activity in this, mm-hmm. right? You have the scene is set and he sees this large crowd. They have nothing to eat. And he called the disciples to them. I have compassion on the crowd. And he kind of says why. And then he says to the disciples, or they ask him, where can we get enough bread? Right. So the question, (laughs) it, it, it just demonstrates that they just don't get it. They don't understand. I don't know that they don't believe. I think they just it still hasn't clicked Mm -hmm. it just hasn't clicked like who it is they're with and what he's capable of they recognize he has compassion they're like okay well what do you what do you want us to do about it like they don't recognize (laughs) the power that that exists right in front of their face Mm -hmm. and he's like all right well how many you have and so then you, you have this dialogue go back and forth and um everybody's eating to their fill. There's plenty of leftovers. There's seven baskets of leftovers and he dismisses them and immediately they get in the boat and they head out and they go somewhere else. Do you know if there's any significance to uh, the leftover seven baskets full? Um, So seven is a number of completion. So, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily what it means here, but you imagine that they've got seven loaves that now turn into seven baskets of leftovers. It just, I think, is an indication of just abundance. Mm. Like there was more than enough where everyone ate their fill, and there was like – and bread wasn't something that's going to go bad right away, so they're able to then – a key leaves them. As soon as he feeds them, it says immediately they get in the boat and they head out, so he leaves everybody with the baskets. But it's interesting when it's brought up again later – reference to the leftovers is made right yeah i fed all these people and i had this much leftover in abundance yeah you you think about not only immediate provision but abundant provision more than you need is going to be offered to you do
0: we know what the word immediately is in the original text because i feel like mark must have had that word tattooed on his body somewhere because he uses it yeah it's
1: it's the it's like his favorite word yeah and immediately yeah he's it's this, this pace of, of the gospel is this sense of just constant moving to the next and to the next. And immediately they, he said this and immediately they went here and immediately they got in the boat. So I think you're right to identify that. And that is just a general trend that Mark uses it more than anyone else. And, and that word just kind of shows action. Um, that there was no lingering, there was no, like, they moved on from there. And that was, and who knows that could have been maybe peter's personality like, right. coming through or john mark's personality yeah. just shortened to the point like and then they went here and then they went here it's like
0: there. me it's like hey what are we doing let's go, go to the next thing come on immediately go right to this. right type a brain
1: yeah um and so when we start to wrestle with the kind of how do we how does this we understand how this lands here In that, in this immediate context, you have the recipients of the bread, so this crowd gathered. You have the disciples and what they're witnessing and what are they processing with this. And then what about Mark's audience that's Mm -hmm. receiving this gospel? There's probably a few different ways that meaning starts to land. But in this immediate context of the disciples and those gathered that are fed, you know, this is a different group for them. The group that's being fed, there, there's nothing that indicates it's the same crowd as the last feeding that happened in chapter six. So this could be a totally different group of people that experience this miraculous physical miracle. Uh, and so they're already sacrificing much. And so there's this great reward that they experience for the sacrifice, like they're provided for and they receive the compassion of Christ. The disciples, what does this mean for them? We don't know what they see or understand here. We're not given any insight into their level of understanding. Yeah. But yet again, they're agents of God's compassion because he doesn't distribute. He has them distribute the food. He takes what they have, seven loaves. It's like, what do you have? We have this. Okay, let me see it for a minute. He gives it back to them, and they serve thousands of people with leftovers
0: i feel like what they would have to and i know it's not in here but what they would have to uh just a small thing that they would have to take away from this is that faithfulness the consistency like um and i'm just thinking how um i relate to these disciples mm-hmm uh, and I know in the beginning of the podcast, I'm like, "What's wrong with these guys? Like, yeah. come on! He just did this." But if I look at my own life, it's like I get so untrusting that God's going to provide. When if I just take a moment, it's like, "Well, dude, look look at what He's done. Look at His track record. He's gonna He's gonna provide." Yeah, and I feel like in in now in our kind of walk of faith as we by God's grace, stay close to him and in his provision that though, that confidence in his faithfulness just begins to build and grow and grow. And so maybe that's something it's another kind of just like cookie in the cookie jar Mm -hmm. that one day they're going to pull from and be like, Oh man, remember the 5,000? Remember the 4,000? Um, but I, I, I would just make that assumption. I don't know; it doesn't say that, but I would have to think that. Man, after he's done this, you, they would have to be like, "Oh man, look at each other." Yeah, it it's again.
1: Se- yeah. There seems to be a. I don't know if it's forgetfulness. That's probably part of it, but here are is, are these group of followers, the disciples, that have now witnessed time and time again Jesus's compassion, his power. Uh, his authority. Um, they've seen the signs and the miracles, the demonstration of the kingdom over and over again, and yet they're still very capable of ignorance, disbelief, uh, sin. Of uh, yeah, a, a a lightly developed faith, but not a fully developed faith. Like there's there's dem- and so there is a sense in which their humanity. And their, their limit um, to this understanding is relatable for us. Mm-hmm. Like, man, like you said, I can very easily forget his provision from last week or that one time where he provided for our family. And when I find myself a year later in that same pickle, I'm like, I don't readily remember his provision and how he got us out of that pickle last time and so yeah there's there's a relatability to the disciples and i think you're right there's also a display of it's just this growing understanding because they don't have the advantage that we do where we can look back on thousands of years of tradition and have this bible and all of the, and and maybe even like generations of people that maybe have believed that have told us stories of their experience of christ and they're meeting the messiah for the first time like Mm -hmm. this is in their lifetime It, it didn't happen for their parents this is for them and so this is this is reshaping their entire normal there's a whole new normal because he's on the scene and everything that they knew and generations of what they've been taught have either been fulfilled or reshaped to understand truly who the Messiah is and what he's capable of, maybe because of some misunderstanding about the Messiah. So, you, yeah, you do want to give grace, but there is this—it's happening in front of them, and it's repetitive. And so, yeah, on display here is Jesus's unending compassion. Mm-hmm. I think some patience, and and for them, just gradually filling in their understanding of who he is yeah so how do we how do we wrestle with that meaning today and we've done it a little bit but if you were to kind of wrestle with how is this significant in the life of bernie calcote today
0: oh man i i'm just relating um Definitely to the disciples in this. Like I said, um, it's weird as I was coming uh, over here today and just kind of, you know, praying and thinking uh, about life and about what, you know, God's kind of wrestling, uh, what what I've been wrestling through with God. And there was this idea of, um, Letting go and control. And I can think about that in the context of my business, of my marriage and my family, my kids, that there's this feeling I think that we all have of wanting to be in control and to be in the know instead of kind of relinquishing that because what we're betting on is God's faithfulness. And even though he has shown it time and time again, there is something inside of me that fears it won't be as I expect it. Mm. That's a little bit scary. Uh, Even though I know what he's going to do is going to far surpass what right. I could do in my own control. Mm. So there's this, I, I feel the angst that the disciples must be going through. It's like, Oh, uh, you know, and, and some of it is just a natural inclination to trust self.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause they're just, you know, they probably have been in that and I'm in that and we're all in that trust of self. And so I, I think that this is really another place where the word for me is just God asking me um, to let go. Yeah. And the idea of God's rightful place in my heart and a, a right understanding of who he is and what he deserves of me I think does start to change that expectation of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because when I get in the mind frame of, God, this is for your glory. My life is for me to glorify you. And I know that you're most glorified when I'm most satisfied in you mm-hmm. and not the way things are going to go. Uh, so that is the the tension mm-hmm. in in. Maybe my life, maybe some people's life out there is like, God, I want to glorify you. But I have this human tension that pulls me back into wanting to know, wanting to understand and wanting to control and wanting to glorify me Mm -hmm. instead of letting go. Because when I do let go, it is almost determined that you will receive the glory because I had nothing to do with it. Right,
1: right. That's good. That's good. Something you said, this idea of relinquishing control, it's a, that's a step of faith. That's a demonstration of confidence. And you're declaring who he is and you're also recognizing who you are. When you let go, you, you're saying, I believe that you are God and you're capable. I also believe that I'm not and I'm. I'm not God and I'm not capable. Therefore, I'm going to relinquish control to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to surrender. And I think there is a something that this word keeps popping up for me in this, in this passage. And that is, I keep thinking the word again. Like, didn't he already do this once? Like, yeah. why, why would Mark <laughs> include this again? And then the disciples, maybe wondering, well, can he do that miracle again? Like, I don't know that they had recollection of the last one, but maybe there was this, I know you did it that one time, but again? And Jesus probably looking at them, and they're wondering about how they're going to feed everybody, and he's going, really, again? You're wondering? Like, (laughs) You're asking again? Again? So this word again starts to just kind of, why would God do this again? And maybe it's because… I will wrestle with His faithfulness and wonder. I know you. F- I know you helped me out last time, but are you the kind of God that would do it again? I know that I've f- I've fallen into this sin pattern again, and does Your forgiveness come again, even though I completely just blew you off and decided to go my own way? And so, is He a God of agains? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> He's a God yeah. that says, yes, again and again and again, mm. my love is never ending. It's always, I'm always faithful. So yes, you that's can good. come back again and again and again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, I think the crowd needs to be recognized here too, mm-hmm. because I mean, how often are we in the position, our heart in the position of this crowd in our lives that we say, Jesus, I'm following you into the desert for three days with no food. I don't care. I'm going to follow you because being with you is better than me making plans and preparing and controlling everything. I just, I just want to be, they just wanted to be Mm -hmm. where he was. And how often is that? How often is that really our hearts cry? And maybe they thought to themselves, maybe they maybe they were just so fixated on Jesus yeah. that it didn't matter. They didn't even think about it, or maybe they were like, "We're with Jesus. Like he's, if we're fixed on him, right. he's going to provide the right. stuff that we need." Yeah. Um. Yeah i I don't know. I I think I would I would love to sit down with somebody from that crowd and be like, "What were you? Where was your heart? What were you thinking? Yeah. Were you just so?" Inspired and drawn, and and in just this place of adoration for Jesus, you want to be near him, no matter no matter the
1: cost, right? Um, that he is the only thing that satisfies, mm-hmm. and that other other things that maybe are temporal, like our belly, or you know whatever else, that those things pale in comparison to whatever is being satiated by him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a good word.
2: Yeah,
1: Bernie Calcoat.
0: Yeah, did we do it? That was. Did we stay close to the time frame we were supposed to. <laughs> that was good. It was good. I'm sorry, guys. Chad always has to remind when we start. Okay, we're gonna try to hit this time frame. <laughs> but we like to talk, both of
1: us. Uh, yeah, we do. Problem. We're verbose. Uh, <laughs> so if you're listening and anything is kind of stirred up questions for you, uh, please email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for Bernie or myself, I'll be sure to. he gets that question if you have a question for him. Um, but so grateful to have you. So grateful for your friendship. A friendship that definitely is uh, healthy and fills my cup. It is not draining. And uh, definitely... I always want more time with Bernie. And so I appreciate the time that I do get. Uh, and thank you for 22beans.com for the support of the podcast. Uh, they help with some of the production costs. So go out there, 22beans.com. Uh, check out their different offerings of beans, of very yummy coffee beans. And you can also buy Take and Read podcast hats there if you want to support the podcast. So nice. thank you so much to them. And thanks for Bernie for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Love you, brother. Glad you you're too, here. Uh, Enjoyed the time and the word. And I encourage everybody out there to go take and read the word of God. Amen.